The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Any comments or observations uh, about the walking or questions about the walking practice? And would you pass the mic back to Betsy? Is that on? When you are doing this practice yourself, Andrea, how do you work with preferences um, or with um, pleasant, interesting how I framed it, um, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? So um, you, you can simply notice within this field of experience that, and it can be a very interesting exploration, in fact, is the attention, you know, as you're noticing seeing, for instance. You know, does the attention, like in the looking, the seeing to looking, is the attention tend to be drawn to things that are pleasant or unpleasant? Um, or with the hearing, does the attention tend to be drawn to things that are unpleasant or unpleasant? Sometimes we can discover some kind of, underlying tendencies that we have to for the attention to kind of gravitate towards those areas and so it can be really interesting to explore explore that I was pleasantly surprised when I started um, for the first maybe five blocks how open things were and and that's the newness I haven't done this for one year and so it was new, and everything was, it, 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 it felt like everything was welcome. And then I started to observe the mind creating, oh, but I like that. <laughs> so in a sense, I would move, the mind would orient to, to what it had seen in the past that it wanted to see again, uh-huh. what it had heard in the past that it would prefer to hurt, hear again. Um, so there was not an orientation to the unpleasantness except for that seeking behavior. Uh-huh. So the feeling of seeking itself felt a little unpleasant? Mm. Yeah. Less relaxed. You know, it had started relaxed and it gravitated in that way. Uh-huh. So that's a great observation. So what you're noticing essentially there is a kind of... It's a natural tendency of the mind, first of all, um, to create its preferences... Uh, Some of us have preferences to gravitate more towards the unpleasant. I think it has to do with kind of strategies that we've learned in our lives. For instance, myself, I seem to have learned strategies that if I can only get rid of all the unpleasant things, then I'll be okay. And so my attention tends to get to gravitate towards the unpleasant. Others of us gravitate towards the pleasant. It's like, oh yeah, that felt good to to go there. Let me go there again. And so you're, you're learning about the tendencies of your mind. And I would encourage you to just be curious about it. And the fact that you recognized that the seeking behavior, you know, the mind actually looking for something, that it was less relaxed, this is part of how the practice works. Mm-hmm. Because it begins to, uh, to re- you know, the mind begins to recognize that its strategy there, which strategy is, oh, that was pleasant before, let me find more of that, that that strategy is actually embedded with a, a non-relaxation, that's embedded with the tension, and that the strategy itself has some some less than ease to it and so the mind begins to learn about that so that's a great description <laughs> of what you noticed
Um, I was observing um, when my attention was between listening and hearing, looking and seeing, and um, and I noticed that my attention was I, I I shifted from seeing to looking when I wanted when there was something that stood out, something unknown that I wanted to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, especially it happened to me with hearing. Um, I sort of passing by, I think it was a church or something, and I could hear a certain sound, and I couldn't, my mind couldn't categorize what it was. Uh-huh. And so then I paid attention, I was listening, um, and that's how I felt that there was an intention to, that I was putting on something to get more information for understanding. Yes, yeah. That's that's another reason why our attention will move. And that this process basically you're describing is the process of recognizing experience, you know, that we tend to want to know what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. That's a very it's a it's a deep human pattern that if we hear something or see something we don't recognize, the mind kind of goes need to know, need to understand, need to figure that out. And and again, that's a human it's a human pattern. Um some people may have more of a tendency in that direction based on what's happened in their life than others, but it's a very human tendency. And so you don't need to, to think about it as being, you know, any kind of a deep, uh, just be curious about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be something connected to trauma in your childhood or anything. It's just, this is a human pattern. So, um, so just recognizing that and, and noticing how the mind has that kind of that, that searching behavior is kind of similar to what Betsy was talking about, a searching behavior, especially when it's something unfamiliar or not recognizable. And the mind will kind of stay with it until it, massage it, until yeah. it figures it out. And then it, 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 it often has to do with the feeling, um, at least in my experience, can be connected with the feeling of needing to be safe. So, you know, it's like, if I don't know what it is, I'm not safe. I need to understand, is it right. a threat or is it right. safe? And, and again, that's very human. You know, is that rustling in the bushes a lion or a snake or another person? <laughs> you know, so, so we, we need to know these things. And so very natural that the mind kind of does that. So again, you're describing seeing what the mind is doing. Would at some point, like, would being mindful at some point be being okay with not really understanding a certain sound, for example? That can happen. Um, that um, I wouldn't say that mindfulness means that. But it is something that tends to happen, you know, that over time we begin to recognize the, how our mind works. And we also begin to recognize that some of these patterns, like searching out what I don't understand, is, is motivated by something that's kind of a deeper underlying tendency. And we can recognize, well, actually, it's not important that I actually know what that sound is. Mm. You know, so so, the, and the, and then the mind can let go of it without knowing what it is. That that exploration of being comfortable with not knowing is something that grows as we become more um, skilled at mindfulness, because there's so much in our experience that is unfamiliar. That that's a that's a it's a great it's actually an edge for us in practice often to be to begin to be comfortable with things that are unfamiliar or not known. Um, 
And yet, it doesn't mean that you're not mindful if your mind kind of wants to find mm-hmm. out that. It's just that that's what your mind is noticing. It's noticing that it's, it's uncomfortable not knowing. That's also mindfulness. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And maybe one more. Yeah, one more about the walking. Yeah. Oh. So... I was walking with awareness of the body and the steps, and I heard some music. And I noticed a movement in the body, the the attention shifted from body to auditory. And then um, there was like a memory. There was like very quick, very quick, like a memory like music home. So then I said, not now. <laughs> because I wanted, you know, I, was, I wanted to go back to the body. So my question is, that moment of me intervening, um, how, how does it go within the... My, the entire the, the awareness there. I, I, I was aware that I that then I jumped in. Uh-huh. What was the what was the motivation there? Why why did you jump in? What was the reason why your mind said not now about that? Because I know that it's a very strong condition for me. The uh, music and. Um, uh, the con- you know conditions conditionality from my history, and um, sometimes it just I stay with the music. So I've, I've been practicing in. Okay, I hear it. Not now. Mm-hmm. Later. What does it mean to you to stay with the music? I mean, what? Um, attention stops. So mindfulness stops. Mindfulness stops. Like okay. overall mindfulness stays there. There's a, a, a more object. Okay. okay. So in, so you are you do you do become mindful of the sound. It's not that that mindfulness gets lost there. Yeah, it, it doesn't get lost. Okay. So. So that, that's an area where I'd encourage you... I mean, sometimes I could imagine a situation where there's particular objects that happen in our experience, particular experiences, where we tend to be drawn to them and our mindfulness... It's like going into the rabbit hole. We lose mindfulness. It doesn't sound like that's what you're describing. It sounds like it becomes more of a, of a kind of... It's like the mind is interested in that, in that experience. And so it kind of maybe moves more in that direction, maybe narrows the attention on that experience. That's more like listening, right? So it moves from hearing to listening to the music. You don't have to stop listening. You can just know that that is what the mind is doing at that moment. As long as mindfulness is being cultivated, there's no no need for, at least in, in this practice that we're exploring, if you were exploring, if you were exploring, um, um, you know, staying with the breath and the attention gets pulled to the music and it gets, stays there, then you might want to say not now and come back to the breath. But even with open awareness, what we're, exp- 
exploring is not, as I said, not necessarily being in a broad experience, but recognizing when is the experience, when is the mind knowing a broad experience, and when does it narrow down? And so that it doesn't have to be that narrow means bad or narrow means wrong. It's just like that's what the mind is doing at that moment. So I would encourage exploring that that kind of natural movement. As you're walking, you know, you're, you're, you're listening, you, you move into listening, you're walking, probably you will move past the sound. What happens then? Then the attention, then the awareness came back. Goes back to open. To yes. the body, open. Yes. And there was a, a pleasant, comfortable sensation uh-huh. in the body and attitude in the mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so I would encourage not, not uh, well, I mean, it may just happen. This is another piece with our mind, right? It's like we have a habit around saying not now to certain things. And so even without our conscious choice, that habit kicks in and says, not now, come back to the, the walking or the seeing. And so check in, is it, I mean, it may have just happened without you're actually doing it. And if that's the case, you just notice that that is what the mind did. But if there was a little moment of choice there where you said, you were saying, oh, I wonder if I, you know, I shouldn't stay with that. Mm-hmm. Let it go and just like see what happens if you explore noticing that that attention is narrowed. And then when does it broaden again? How does that happen? So it's, it's, it's just more of an exploration. What we're exploring this week is more meeting, um, seeing if we can cultivate a mindfulness that meets just our going through our lives. And there will be times when it's appropriate for the attention to narrow in our lives. And so if we feel like that's a problem, then um, mindfulness will tend to get abandoned. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So... um, So let's talk about some of the other tools for daily life practice. As I was just pointing to, uh, we're really starting to look at what does it mean to bring mindfulness into our activities, into the activities of our our day. Um, And this can be difficult. You know, it can be... um, when we're sitting, you know, when we're sitting, we're not engaged in too much activity. And uh, there's a lot of supports that help us to remember to be mindful when we're engaged in sitting practice. For one, just the stillness of the body and the fact that we're usually sitting with our eyes closed. You know, we, we may be, find ourselves lost in thought and it becomes obvious because we're sitting in silence with our eyes closed in this funny position in our bodies. And that... that uh, that wakes us up when we, we wake up into um, some memory or some futurizing or planning something and we, we recognize, well, actually, I'm not in that conversation with that other person. I'm sitting here meditating. That helps to, to wake us up. But in our daily lives, we lose some of that structure. We lose that, uh, those 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 supportive tools of the stillness of the body, the eyes closed, that help us to remember about mindfulness. And so a lot of what I like to encourage in this daily life practice um, retreat is to find ways to, to find ways to help you remember to be mindful. This is really the, uh, the key. <laughs> you know, mindfulness, it, just right now, you know, just in this moment, 
Can you be aware of the experience of your hands touching each other or wherever they're placed, just the, the sensations of your hands as they are? Can you be aware of the contact of your hips against the chair or cushion or bench? Can you know a breath in this moment, however you're breathing in or breathing out? Usually, uh, raise your hand if that was hard to do. Yeah, that's usually not very hard to do. When I name those specific areas, the mindfulness is right there. And so being mindful for a moment is not actually that hard. What's hard is both to remember it. That's, a, that's hard. <laughs> so here I was prompting you, be mindful of this. And boom, it's easy. So remembering is hard. And then also kind of um, cultivating a... A stream of mindfulness is hard to remember to uh, stay mindful um, over a stretch of time. In, uh, in the daily life practice, I'm going to emphasize the, um, the remembering piece. So we'll start with um, some tools that will help you to remember being mindful. Um, The first one is to pick some activity that you do regularly through your day. It might be um, turning on light switches, going through doors. It might be standing up or sitting down. It might be reaching for things. Reaching is a really hard one. So those of you who've done this before a lot might, might want to choose, a, choose that one. But we're constantly reaching for things. So that's, that's something that happens really regularly through our day. It might be on, if you, if you spend a lot of time on a computer or a device during the day, some activity on the device like opening an app on an iPad or clicking send on an email, just some activity that you do regularly through your day. And then what we'll explore is connecting the intention for mindfulness to that activity. So explore, kind of committing. This is a a kind of a setting of an intention. I'm going to try to remember to be mindful when I do that activity. So try to remember what to be mindful when I'm turning on a light switch or going through a door. Try to remember that I'm going to be mindful when opening an app on my iPad. Or even just touching my phone. You know, that's a good one, actually. Touching your phone. You know, just the contact of your hand with the phone. Um, There's a lot, a variety of things. I'd really encourage this activity to be something that you do a lot during your day. As much as, you know, three or four times an hour during the bulk of your day. Um... And uh, what I will uh, describe now is how hard that's going to be. <laughs> so you, you pick something like that, and what you'll find uh, probably is that you'll forget more than you remember. Uh, the forgetting process is, uh, is a very natural uh, part of the way our minds work. And yet what's going to happen is... If you, if you, what I would like each of you to do is to pick an activity like that and then commit. So it's like a commitment. So this is, this is working with intention right here. You're setting your intention towards connecting mindfulness with that activity. And then, um, uh, so I, I do that 
I do that, you know, each day. And then any time that you notice that you haven't, haven't noticed, which will happen a lot, probably. So that in a moment, you will probably, um, you know, at lunchtime, you're sitting down to have lunch or something. And then you realize, wow, I've stood up and sat down all morning long and I didn't remember once. In that moment, first thing to do is to not give up because this is normal. In fact, that moment when you first remember that you've forgotten, that's when the practice begins. So celebrate in that moment. Oh, oh, I'm sitting down to lunch and I didn't remember all morning, but I'm remembering now. Okay, so that is where it begins. So in that moment, the first thing to do is um, recognize that you're mindful now, in this moment. Just, just take in what's obvious in this moment. You know, you're sitting, you're hungry, you're, um, you're kind of having some energy from the morning. You know, whatever is obvious, just notice what's in this moment. Kind of like we were doing in the sitting meditation, just like, what's here right now? So just take in, you're mindful, what's here, what's obvious in that moment. And then um, the next thing I'll encourage in that moment also is to recommit to... Uh, that remembering. I'll, rem- I'll try to remember again. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be standing up and sitting down all afternoon. I'm just going to commit to try to remember. At first, what I find with this kind of practice is that most of the moments of remembering happen not associated with the task that we're choosing. And yet that's not a failure. I mean, those moments of remembering are probably more moments of mindfulness than you, that, that you have in this practice than you would have had had you not had some kind of an orienting device. So this device around the, um, you know, picking some activity is, it's really, I mean, it, it, there are some interesting things that can start to happen that we can start to see as we begin to become mindful during that activity. But the biggest point is to begin to recognize those moments when mindfulness returns. And this, um, having this intention to remember around a specific activity helps us to remember more frequently that we've become mindful. So it's, it's kind of a device to help us notice these moments of remembering more. And in that moment, just what's obvious in this moment? What's here? So what's obvious, then also uh, recommit to trying to remember that, that uh, to connect mindfulness with that activity. And then get on with your day. Don't try to hold on to mindfulness at that point. Because... What I've seen over and over again with people um, practice, trying to practice mindfulness in their day is that um, they have a moment of mindfulness and then they think, oh, I have to remember this. I have to hold on to this mindfulness. I have to stay mindful. And it becomes a doing or an activity that kind of gets in the way of um, just us doing our, our, our normal life. If we are trying to carry around mindfulness like a backpack, it's going to get heavy. If we're trying to do the mindfulness, we're going to find that our our interactions and our activities are kind of um, chunky or something. 
You know, it's, it's like try to remember to be mindful while you are writing an email. It's possible actually to be mindful while writing an email, but what I've discovered is that that capacity grows with the, um, as, the mind, as, the, as the mindfulness gets stronger. It's like what, what we're exploring here is kind of a building of a momentum of mindfulness through this simple activity of picking something to remember. And we'll start to notice more and more times that we haven't noticed. And that begins to build a little bit of a thread of mindfulness through the day. Over time, we begin to get a little bit more momentum, and we may wake up in a moment in the middle of writing an email with some, with some momentum of mindfulness and actually recognize that we can be mindful while writing an email, and it doesn't take a lot of extra effort. So that, that ease of mindfulness that we pointed to a few minutes ago, that just the moment of remembering and the, the moment of noticing, that ease of mindfulness is possible in any activity. And yet, if we're trying to do the mindfulness in that activity, it will feel pretty heavy. And it will, it will often feel like, I don't have time for this mindfulness. I have to think about the contents of this email. So what I encourage in daily life is, first of all, to begin to notice these moments of mindfulness returning. There'll be a kind of a little, um, it's kind of like a bell has been struck, you know. It's like the mindfulness returning is kind of like a bell has been struck. And, you know, that strike of the bell... There's a resonance. It rings for a little while, but it naturally fades over time. And that's kind of what happens with mindfulness. As mindfulness returns, when we recognize it, there's a kind of a resonance that it lingers for some stretch of time. But it will fade and we'll move on to other things. And so just explore that. we'll, we'll, We'll start to recognize that the remembering of mindfulness sometimes has a little more resonance than others. Sometimes it arises and then submerges immediately. So just notice how that is for you. And so, uh, so at first in this activity, you'll start to, um, you'll the first things that you'll notice probably are the times that you're not noticing, and that's that's how it begins. And then what I see. Uh, happening is that, you know, we get more noticings in a day, more noticings that we haven't noticed. And some of those noticings may start to happen very close to the event. Like we, we turn on a light, we walk into a room, and then a minute later it's like, oh, I just turned on a light a minute ago and I didn't remember. And so we start to, re- again, so in that moment, just, what I know, I'm mindful now. It's not like you go back and be mindful of the, the turning on the light switch. You know, you can't. But you can be mindful now. And recognize that that intention to be mindful of that activity has supported this recognition of being mindful now. So just notice that. Recommit. Uh, What I see happening for myself in this style of practice is that uh, over the course of some days or hours, it tends to happen more quickly on uh, these retreats because we have more... uh, structure to help us remember this, um, that the, the rememberings will begin to get closer to the event. Or another thing that you might start to notice is that you're walking towards the light switch and you think, oh, I'm about to turn on the light switch. I'll be mindful for that. In that moment, notice that you're mindful then. Don't wait until you get to the light switch to be mindful. Because 
really often what happens in that three seconds is it goes. <laughs> it's really funny how our minds work. It's, it's quite amazing. So you'll, you'll, you'll recognize, oh, I'm getting ready to, to walk out the door. I'll notice that moment. Just notice this moment. It's like, oh, here I am. I'm mindful now. And maybe you'll remember to be mindful as you walk out the door. Maybe not. Don't give yourself a hard time about it. And then at some point, uh, the mindfulness will start to uh, be connected with that experience. And so you'll at times begin to recognize it as you're doing it. Same practice. Noticing that you've become aware. Noticing what's obvious in this moment. There's nothing much to do other than just the simplicity of, like right now, what is most obvious in your experience? Maybe it's the hearing. Or maybe it's seeing. You know, what's most obvious in this very moment? Maybe it's the feeling of body. Maybe it's a, a mood or an emotion. Just what's obvious in this moment? That's all that's necessary as you become aware in these brief moments in our daily life. So notice what's obvious in that moment. Recommit to the intention to stay uh, with this practice and get on with your day. Just, you know, let go of holding on to mindfulness. You might be curious about how long that one resonates for, that remembrance resonates for, but don't try to hold on to it for this particular practice. Then the sec- a second thing that I'll um, explore with you is um, an activity that does begin to uh, encourage a little bit of that prompting of the mindfulness. And so picking some activity that lasts a little bit longer. You do maybe once or twice a day. Um, washing dishes or loading or unloading the dishwasher um, or um, making your bed in the morning or brushing your teeth or preparing breakfast or preparing any meal. Just some activity that takes anywhere from two minutes to five minutes or even longer. Some people choose to do kind of the entire from the time you get up through the, the morning um, preparations to leave, you know. So it, it, could, be, it could be a stretch of time. Uh, I'd encourage it to be a time when you don't have to be thinking about other things so that you can do this practice of remembering the mindfulness so that it doesn't feel like it's a getting in the way for that activity. And so there the exploration is, you know, noticing what you're doing, kind of the movement associated with that. And again, it's just what's obvious moment to moment, kind of like we did in the walking meditation. You could, for instance, if you're doing brushing your teeth, rotate seeing, hearing, um, standing, touching your feet. You could, you could rotate between those areas of experience and just, you know, just kind of begin to remind yourself to stay present for that stretch of time. It's amazing you'll find actually too that something that's kind of humbling but great to see is that even in a short time like five minutes, mindfulness will, will get lost and come back. Maybe a bunch of times. So again, each time it comes back, there's no need to judge yourself or, or try to kind of double down on the mindfulness. It's more like, oh, it's back again. Wow, look at that, it got lost. I mean, the whole function, the whole way our minds work around getting lost 
is basically a pointer and a teaching for us on how out of control our minds are. It's like, we're not going to be able to put our minds someplace and just hold it there. Our minds are not that trained at this point. And so, uh, recognizing that the uncontrollability of the mind, the, in fact, the not-self nature of the mind here. I mean, if I'm the one who's saying, I'm going to be mindful and present, if I'm, if I'm the one identifying with being the one who's going to be mindful and present, who's the one that wanders? Is that me? Well, I didn't intend to do that. How about the one who returned? Who did that? It's kind of amazing to watch our minds do these things. And so this is the encouragement I'd, I'd like to uh, have you in- explore, is seeing this kind of coming and going of mindfulness. So this, uh, this task or this, well, I'll call the brief thing that happens regularly through the day, and I, I'd encourage that to be something that's a pretty quick movement, something that you intend to do, an activity you choose, like opening a door, turning on a light switch, um, uh, standing up or sitting down, something that, that doesn't take that long. It's just trying to connect mindfulness to this, like, moments in moments. The longer chore, two to five minutes, I'll encourage you to explore, how, you know, what does it mean to, to, to try to stay present in a light way there? To not, to not be tight about it, but also to, to, to encourage. How can I stay present here? What does it mean to be present while I'm brushing my teeth? What does that mean? So those are our two... Um, two practices that I'd like to uh, have you explore. And in both cases, a piece of this is recognizing this moment of mindfulness returning. The, The remembering of mindfulness. This is a big part of daily life practice. And I'd say at this point, that is my main practice in daily life, is recognizing when mindfulness returns and noticing how long this one lasts. How long does this one uh, linger for? This kind of recognizing mindfulness returning, the more you get familiar with that moment, the more you notice what it's like for mindfulness to return. Like maybe you are sitting down to lunch when you remember, I haven't remembered the standing up and sitting down all morning. But in that moment of mindfulness returning, if you can get familiar with, oh, this is what it's like for mindfulness to come back. This experience, this is what it's like to become mindful again. This um, moment of mindfulness returning actually happens way more than you think. It just frequently gets buried because we become mindful of something and immediately we start thinking about it or we jump onto it thinking we have to do something with it or it's meaningful to us in some way. And so we lose the recognition that we have become mindful because the agenda of our mind is to pick up what we've become mindful of and take some kind of an action on it. And so it's it's not necessarily that we wouldn't take that action, but take a moment to recognize this is what it's like for mindfulness to return. This is what it's like to be aware again. The more you cultivate that 
recognition, the more these moments of mindfulness returning, it's like what happens there is you begin to recognize what it feels like for mindfulness to return. And when mindfulness returns, it becomes more, it's like we're sensitized to it. We become, we become more easily aware of it. And so these moments that kind of appear and vanish, they become more available to us. So this practice of recognizing the moment of mindfulness returning is really a big part of this daily life practice. Whether it's connected with the actual experience or not, anytime you notice mindfulness returning, celebrate and, and see if you can recognize it. You'll begin to see that mindfulness returns you know, you're walking across the street. Mindfulness returns. You're reaching to pick up a glass. Mindfulness returns. Again, you don't have to hold on to it. Just notice that. Kind of appreciate that returning of mindfulness. As we begin to, to notice this moment, these moments, it's like it, it, it creates this little, like, little moment, or it's like a thread of mindfulness that begins to be pulled throughout the day just this practice of noticing mindfulness returning. And then we explore the possibility with the, the longer practice, the chore, um, that we, we begin to explore what does it mean to keep remembering to be mindful in an activity. That does take more effort and um, I would say that you know, it, in, for myself, I was a computer programmer for a, a stretch of time, and um, uh, there were long chunks of time where it just felt like my mind was absorbed in the computer programming. And that was appropriate. You know, if I was trying to be mindful, I mean, computer programming is kind of like building a city in your mind. You have to, it's kind of, you, you, you hold on, it's like a mandala. You create this complex thing and then remember, okay, that's in that building on that address in that place and that's over there and I need to make sure these talk to each other. And so holding that complexity, if I were trying to remember to be mindful, holding that complexity would have fallen apart. And yet what I discovered is as I just practiced this remembering the moment of mindfulness, there were times when the mindfulness infused that space of knowing that whole thing of the, the whole city that I was building and it didn't get in the way because I wasn't trying to do it. It was just happening. And so this is, this is what we're heading towards, is a momentum of mindfulness that can begin to infuse whatever is happening in our lives and support our ability to recognize first, you know, mainly recognize, is this, um, is this a wholesome movement heading towards uh, ease, peace in my life, or is this a constricted movement heading towards suffering in my life? see what else I want to say about this. I think um, I'll take questions now about these two pieces. So, so far I've given the instruction about walking, which is really helpful for our daily lives, the task and the chore, and connecting those in particular with this moment of remembering. So questions or comments about any of these tools. Yeah, and, and use the mic again. Would you pass the mic back? There's a switch on the side. Hello. 
Yes. I'm trying to figure out the purpose of trying to remember. Is it an exercise for us to do so that we become stronger on remember things? Or I'm not exactly sure. So, so the purpose of mindfulness, ultimately, <laughs> the overall purpose of the mindfulness is to help us uh, see where and how our minds contribute to our suffering. So, you know, as we go through the day... Um, you know, we'll find ourselves getting into frustrating situations or confusing situations or situations where we're tense around trying to hold on to something. And there's a feeling of, often a feeling of dissatisfaction, unease around our, our, our experience. And the, the ultimate purpose of what we're doing is to begin to reveal the way our own minds create strife create struggle, create stress. And so as the, 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 the main tool here in, in daily life is to begin to cultivate this um, capacity for being aware of what's going on. And then we start to see, as I just pointed to, you know, the, the ways in which, you know, here I am writing an email and I'm angry while I'm writing this email. And maybe... Maybe I should take care with the words that I'm using. So it, it interweaves with the, the relational non-harming component to cultivate the, the capacity to be mindful. And it also supports our own understanding of the ways in which um, our own minds get in our own way. Our own minds get in our own way about... Um, you know, remember, like, like, so much of our suffering happens when we are mindlessly caught in something. Like, m- remembering a story. We remember something that we were angry about that happened a few days ago. And we're lost. We're kind of lost in that story of um, uh, anger. And when we're, we're lost in that story of anger, it's reinforcing anger it's reinforcing suffering it's reinforcing struggle in our in our in our experience and the moment of mindfulness returning is the possibility there's the possibility to break into that stream and begin to point out to us another way so for myself one of the one of the things i did early in my practice i'll just tell this story um um is uh I, I played with these tools that I'm, I told you about, you know, picking something that happens regularly through my day. Um, but I also, my motivation for starting the meditation practice was that I was kind of ruled by anger. And I found myself really um, caught, frozen often, enraged, not able to function very well. And so I decided to also explore what it might mean to wake up to that anger. And as I began to do that, I mean, it was really useful for me to have something neutral, like for me it was switching between DOS and Windows on my computer. That was my task that I did uh, for the momentary task. Um, Useful to have something pretty neutral to help me cultivate that capacity for mindfulness because that supported my ability to meet um, the experience of anger. 
And so I began exploring what does it mean to be mindful in my daily life? What does it mean to meet anger? And what I discovered over the course of a couple of weeks, it actually didn't take very long for this to bear fruit, that um, when I first started this, I was just so caught by the anger. I would wake up. When I woke up, I found I would be enraged. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm mindful, but like, what does it mean to like, be mindful of this enraged? I had no idea. Well, I guess I go back to work. And that moment actually was a really potent moment because what I began to see is that the mindfulness gave me a choice about not being caught into all those stories and could let me go back to work. Before that, I'd been sitting like frozen, like not able to even function. And then mindfulness came back. It's like, well, I have no idea what it means to be mindful of this. I, 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 I know I'm angry. Yep, okay. I guess I go back to work. That was a moment of kind of truncating that pattern of just reinforcing the anger and shifting to something else. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, I began to recognize that the anger didn't have as much of a um, stickiness to it. I, could, I began to wake up into uh, recognizing anger when it was at a lower level. I wasn't fully enraged. And again, had that choice. Yeah, I don't have to go there. I can let that go. So the purpose of the mindfulness is connected with this Um, the understanding that the tool of mindfulness supports us to uh, learn about our own minds, to learn what in our own minds is fooling us into going into these rabbit holes and uh, to have some other choice. So that's what I would say is kind of the purpose there. Did that address your your question? So so basically the the remembering of when you turn on and off the switch is the starting of this. That's basically. right. Yeah, it's, it's a tool. I mean, like in sitting meditation, we start with something like, well, let's pay attention to the breath. You know, let's just try to be present. And, um, and, and there's some, some other benefits to that and that it leads to concentration and can let the mind see that there's another way of being as opposed to being caught up in all of our thoughts. But in daily life, it's much harder to do something like that. And so I pick something, it's helpful to have something structured um, to, uh, to begin this process in daily life. But once we kind of have a little bit of facility with being present in daily life, there's all kinds of things we can start to explore. Yeah, so it's kind of the training wheels, <laughs> the training wheels of daily life practice. Yeah. Any other other questions? Actually, if no no other question, I, actually I have. You another have another one? one. Okay. When I was walking, and I hear something, and then the purpose is not trying to figure out what I was hearing. That's is right. That, it's mo- where, it's it's huh? it's to notice that you are aware of hearing. And then, what can you do with that? You know, again, it's, it's cultivating this capacity to, well, to see. I mean, as you heard others describe that, um, you know, that, that they, they saw that 
um, they tended to be drawn to pleasant things or unpleasant things and that there was a little bit of stress in that looking for pleasant, looking for unpleasant. And so over time, we begin to recognize, I mean, mostly what we're cultivating at the beginning is just the capacity to recognize this is the human experience that's happening right now. Hearing is what's happening right now. And as we begin to to recognize the, um, that that's what's happening in the moment, we also begin to see all, a lot of our relationships to that. And so, oh, I like that kind of sound. Oh, I don't like that kind of sound. That's a good sound. That's a bad sound. And so we begin to see how we overlay a lot of opinions, ideas, views onto what we're experiencing. And that a lot of our... Um, a lot of our relationship to the world is actually um, not coming with what's actually happening, but more at the level of our views and opinions and ideas about what's happening. And, and that's a, a level of disconnect from the world. And views, opinions, ideas can be useful. It's not that we're trying to get rid of views, opinions, and ideas, but recognizing what's really helpful is to begin to recognize when we are relating to the world through views, opinions, and ideas and not so much through what's actually happening. Because often, as in views, opinions, and ideas, is a vast terrain of um, misinformation, confusion, um, beliefs that are not necessarily true, uh, that we are not aware of as we're engaging um, with the world. And so... Uh, as you notice the sound, you know, you, you notice that you're hearing the, the kind of the spillover effect of the being aware of hearing is that you'll probably also then start to be aware of the liking, the not liking, the, uh, the views of, of why, you know, like, why is a person riding that kind of a motorcycle? It makes so much noise. Why don't they have one that's quieter? You know, views and ideas and opinions. That's... And th- those ideas, those, those ways of relating to the world tends to create constriction and um, suffering, dissatisfaction with the world. And so it's, uh, again, it's, a, it's an exploration to begin to open our, uh, our minds to understand how much of the way that we suffer, much of the way that we relate uh, to the world where we feel like there's a problem is not an inherent problem in the world, but more related to how we are in relationship to it. And so that's a big part of this uh, beginning to be um, aware and mindful in daily life. There's vast opinions (laughs) and views in our mind about how we do everything and how we relate to things. So this is a great question. I'm so glad you, you asked these questions because it does set the context context for why why it's useful to bring mindfulness into our daily lives yeah other other comments yeah over here would you pass them pass the mic over um so in a lot of uh, cultures um attention training is um important um tool they use. Um, So in the culture I grew up in, it was um, attention training was given a lot of importance to in the form of a a mantra that you repeat a certain number of times. Um, So I 
think of this as a motivation. As, so if I have to sit for 45 minutes every day, um, there needs to be a strong motivation. Um, so one of the things that um, I think of is attention training gives us the space between an impulse and a reaction. Yes. So that is something that I've observed as, because I tried this when I was young, I gave up because I didn't really see a reason as how attention training is important. Yes. But now I beginning, I'm beginning to see the space because they say um, in the space is the wisdom and yes. the growth. Um, so that seems to be one of the motivating factors for me to sit for 45 minutes every day. Yes, and that's a great, that's a great um, ex- description of, of why it's helpful, is that we do begin to see in the moments before we act, we, we, we see there's moments of choice. We see there's moments where I'm getting ready to do something, and, oh, this one's motivated by anger. Maybe, maybe I should not move on that action. So it, it does give us a choice, and then we begin to see uh, the benefits in our lives around this. In this case, in terms of the, the, the daily life practice, some piece that I'll point to in terms of attention training, often attention training is done by picking something to stay with, such as the breath or a mantra. Um, in this case, some of the attention training is around this, the activities that I'm talking about. But the, the bigger piece of attention training I'm talking about here is beginning to recognize mindfulness itself. So we are attuning ourselves to recognize what it is to be mindful. And then within that, it's not that we're directing our attention to anything in particular, but more curious about what's revealed in that mindfulness. And that, um, that begins to reveal... Sometimes I, I talk about this kind of um, receptive, I like to talk about this kind of mindfulness practice as receptive because we're not trying to pick what we're paying attention to, but we're exploring, well, what's, what's being revealed already when I become mindful? What's here? What's being revealed is our human experience. And so the attention training is around recognizing the mindfulness, and then we get to know our hearts and minds. We get, so, sometimes I talk about this... Um, kind of practice as being, you know, an, an introduction to your mind. An introduction to the ways that your mind uh, gets caught by things. An introduction to the way your mind uh, can let go of things. An introduction to the places and ways there is choice in our lives. So, uh, so this is your mind 101. <laughs> This, uh, this course we're doing here, <laughs> Your Mind 101, Famili- beginning to get familiar with your mind. And the first tool is the attention training in recognizing the mindfulness itself and then what's here in that. And as you point to, just that moment of remembering gives us a space, a little space of choice. And wisdom has an opportunity to come in and, and recognize, oh, yeah, I don't want to hit the sun button right now. Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about um, anger and... Um, I, 
I had a similar experience. Um, so I had read this book by Thich Nhat Hanh. It's all about anger. And so that was a good thing to read. And so kind of started with things like driving and being tailgated and um, cut off in traffic and, or being at line, in line at the supermarket and somebody walks in front of you and just learning to take a breath and, and then you can kind of feel your anger or frustration rise and then fall and kind of catch yourself. So I've been working on that for years, really proud of the work that I've done on that because I really don't lose my temper very easily. And then this year I started a new job and everything changed because I walked into a situation where I manage um, a lot of people. I'm, I'm one of two managers. And I walked into a, um, an organization where people are really disgruntled and unhappy and it's toxic. And I'm getting um, attacked, professionally attacked, you know, at every meeting we go to, every email. And I'm finding myself just almost everything I learned about catching myself is just sort of, it's getting harder and harder. So I guess my question is, how do we bring mindfulness to those deeper situations where we're, it isn't just a quick rise and fall, it isn't just a quick on and off, but it's something yeah. that com keeps coming at us? I, I would encourage, I mean, this is a great question, and that example I gave of my own anger, that was a deeper anger that was had been going for a number of months, and um, what I will encourage here is that your tools, what you've cultivated previously, is available as a support for you. What happens for us, I mean, any time, I mean, just, just think about, like, practicing sitting meditation. If, you, if you're sitting in a particular posture, you, you kind of get familiar with what it's like to be mindful in that posture. And then suddenly, maybe you, uh, you have an injury and you can't sit in that posture anymore and you have to sit in another posture. Uh, how many of you have noticed that any time you switch a posture that mindfulness is a little harder? Yeah? This is a, it's, it's pretty common. And so um, the, 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 the capacities that we cultivate mindfulness in, the, the situations that we cultivate mindfulness in, when those situations get shaken up, it's harder. And so just acknowledge that piece first. It's not that it's like completely gone away or that you're, you're you know, this situation is inherently um, a place where you can't be mindful, but it's, first of all, it's a new situation and also it sounds like a more challenging situation. And so give yourself some compassion for how hard it is, first of all. You know, it's, it's not easy to, uh, to enter a situation like that where you feel like you're being attacked. And, um, and it's, it's a new situation as well. And so I would encourage just um, um, noticing, I, I mean, what, what, what I noticed was that I found I was pretty deeply enraged before I recognized the mindfulness there. And in that moment, just... Okay, yep, that's what's going on. Now, again, trying to expand, in this case, expand the capacity of mindfulness to meet a more intense form of the emotion. So that's, that's one piece, um, that just do the best you can in your daily life. And then another exploration um, with very challenging situations is that you can explore sometime at home um, when you're in a place of safety, 
um, you can do what I sometimes call a reflective practice. And I'll just offer this very briefly right now. It's something I usually offer a little bit later in the week, but uh, since you asked. Um, so at some place or time when you have some space and it feels safe, uh, let yourself, instead of a normal kind of meditation where you just let everything go, spend a couple minutes with just settling the mind with whatever way you typically settle the mind. And then let yourself bring up some kind of scenario from work where the charge is there. I would let yourself kind of create that scenario for 30 seconds. Maybe it's having heard something or read some email or just something. So let yourself envision it, where you were sitting, who you were speaking to. Just let yourself bring that into your mind. And what will tend to happen is that some of those emotions will come back. They may be slightly less than they were in the, in the actual situation, but they'll be there. And then let go of the imagining of the situation and explore, okay, here's that feeling. Can I meet this with mindfulness right now? Who pounding heart. Uh, heat and pressure in the system. Clenching jaw. Okay, can I, can I meet that? So you're cultivating the skill of bringing mindfulness to that state of mind in a place where you have a little more space to, to work with it. So give yourself a lot of compassion for how hard it is. Do the best you can in your day. And then this, is, um, this exploring, this reflective practice will also be a, a skill that helps expand the a capacity of the mindfulness to meet some of those really fast-rising, challenging emotions. Yeah. So why don't we take a 10-minute um, break. Um, mindful break. Uh, it's not going to necessarily be walking, but just explore seeing, hearing, moving, touching in this 10 minutes. We'll be silent as you get a cup of tea, as you go to the bathroom. Just explore this as a 10-minute uh, practice of remembering mindfulness. So it's, it's a break, but it's not a break. <laughs> so we'll, we'll meet together at 4. And I'll ring the bell at a little before four. <laughs> 